This morning, Acts chapter 12, as you was reading along, I'm sure, in your Bibles, the first 19 verses, Acts chapter 12 is just loaded with all sorts of things. It's loaded with murder. It's loaded with imprisonment. It's loaded with miracles. It's loaded with prayer. It's loaded with angels. And at the very end, it's loaded with the death of a king. I often say, and as my study and I read this, I was thinking, this is the most, this is the fullest chapter, I believe, I've ever looked at, uh, with all the different things in this chapter that we see. And the chapter begins with King Herod in chapter 12 and verse 1, persecuting the church. Now, this is not the Herod the Great uh, that we read about in Matthew 2 and 1, or that the one that uh, was trying to kill our Lord and Jesus when he was a baby. That was Herod the Great. It was not Herod Antipas in Luke 23 and 8 through 12 that we read about, the one that um, Jesus met with before his death and before his crucifixion. But this is Herod Agrippa I. Herod Agrippa I. And this Herod, Agrippa, did much, and you need to understand this to learn the context of this, of this whole chapter. Herod Agrippa, the one we're talking about today, did much to protect and help the Jews. He was a very good friend of the Jews. And they greatly respected and admired this Herod Agrippa. And to please the Jews... Notice in the first part of the chapter, to please the Jews, Herod murdered the apostle James. And if that wasn't enough, he continued to lock up Peter, the apostle Peter in Acts 12 and verses 2 through 4, in prison. Now again, we, he, James was beheaded, and really it's the only apostle that we read whose death we can read about in the Bible but you know, you've got to understand, I want you to know the context here. A few years prior to this, and in, in prior to Acts 12, in AD, about AD 40, there was a Roman emperor called Caligula. And he tried to set up an image in the, the temple of the Jews. And the Jews were very resistant. They, even though, you know, they had their issues and problems, they were very resistant to this man, this emperor, trying to put an image in their temple. And they were so resistant that they were ready to go to war and ready to go to battle with this Herod Agrippa, and well, with this uh, Caligula, rather, the Roman emperor. But the, this Herod Agrippa was the only man that could talk down this, um, this Caligula, the Roman emperor, from doing that. So again, he was the Jews' friend. He really pleased them. And as they murdered the apostles and the ones who the Jews were, were, were you know, not happy with, you know, even they had murdered our Lord because you know, it was not the Messiah. Uh, they were wanting an earthly king, and our Lord was speaking of a heavenly king and a kingdom, the church. So anyway, he was their, their friend. He was so able to please, again, to reiterate, he killed the Apostle James, and he locked up Peter. You know, isn't it the same today with our leaders in, in, in uh, empowerment today? 
They are all about pleasing what? The majority, isn't it? Yeah, they're all about pleasing the majority. Same, same thing here. He was with the Jews to, to kill and to knock down the gospel and knock down the church that he began to kill people. Our leaders today, they pass laws. Why? People elect them and put them in to take and get their way of thinking into the country. Same thing we see today. But let's continue on. Notice as Peter was locked up, the church prayed fervently, Acts 12 and verse 5. Fervently, the same type of fervent that our Lord prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Gethsemane where his blood or his sweat became as drops of blood. But they, paid, they prayed for Peter while he was in prison. And God, as you, we've read in that chapter already, has responded to their prayer by sending an angel to deliver Peter. Acts 12, verses 6 through 19. And we see that account. And upon his release, by the hands of the angel, Peter was able to visit the brethren gathered for prayer at Mary's house, the mother of John Mark. As he goes there, as you remember, he knocks on the door, and the maid servant named Rhoda came to the door. She didn't even believe that it was Peter, and she what? Shut the door, ran back in, and told us, No, that's his angel, that's his spirit. But it was truly Peter, wasn't it? Now that name, Rhoda, is, is, uh, is kind of unusual. We don't hear that name very much. I only have known one person named Rhoda in my whole life. Uh, and it was a family back home who named their daughter Rhoda. But we see that Peter has been released and God answered the prayers of the brethren. Now latter part of this chapter is where I want us <clears throat> to really focus. In Acts chapter 12 and verses 20 through 25, God would strike Herod with intestinal worms. This judgment resulted from Herod being prideful and accepting the glory due to God. Notice how this chapter ends. The king dies who was doing the killing. He was killed due to pride. He, like the, the God, used an angel to strike down, down uh, this Herod, when he, as he did to release Peter. He used an angel to strike down this king. So the title of our lesson this morning is The Death of a King. And I want to share with you this morning <clears throat> three things. Three things and some lessons that we can come and can get from this interesting chapter that we can learn from. Number one is God's people are not exempt from suffering. You know, that seems to be a resounding and repetitive theme everywhere I go. In Oklahoma, we heard lessons about that. In our, uh, when I came home from Oklahoma and got off the plane on Tuesday, Wednesday I went and, and was part of a gospel meeting up in Putnam County, and, and my, my topic was, was dealing with loneliness. 
And my son Micah had dealing with the ups and downs of life. And there was another title in there, I believe, dealing with suffering as well. But that seems to be the resounding and repetitive message across the brotherhood today, even in my traveling, what I see. Why? Is because of the shape our country's in and what Christians are facing and what Christians are going to face. I'm going to tell you, I am thankful to God I live where I live. Thankful to God. We've got so many people. I, my next door neighbor came from California. And he says, I don't come as a missionary. He says, I come as a refugee. He said, because everybody in California has lost their mind. You see, the, what Christians are facing and what we're going to face is similar to what we're reading about today. But God's people are not exempt from suffering. Both James and Peter suffered for the cause of the gospel. Now some might say, even in your situation, and even in reading this particular passage, why did God allow James to be killed, but not Peter? Well, you know what? The text doesn't tell us. It doesn't tell us why James was killed and why Peter was allowed to, to be in prison but be able to get out and still live. And often we ask ourselves that same question. Why, why did this happen to me? Why did I uh, have this to come in my life? And, and this person over here didn't have this. And that could have been the same conversation that they were having in this, this exact uh, situation. But let me tell you this, God does not always reveal his purpose. Regardless of what we have to endure in this life, we must always, and let me say again, always trust God. We must always understand that God can see things that we can't. And he knows things that we don't. Now, I think that's very interesting that the Bible, in the book of Proverbs, and I wish you would turn there with me, in the book of Proverbs, in chapter 3, I want you to meet me around, uh, let's see, verse, start, start with verse 5. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5. God doesn't always reveal the purposes of his will. And regardless of what we have to endure, we must trust God. Always understand that God can see things and he knows things that we don't. But notice what the scripture says in Proverbs 3, starting in verse 5. Trust. That's where it lies, isn't it? When difficulties come in our life and tragedies and things, he says, trust. He says, trust in the Lord, what? With all thine heart. And lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him. And he what? Will direct thy paths. He will direct your paths. Now notice what verse 7 says. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord. And depart from evil. You see, those are some good words for us. That's some good instruction from God. 
regardless of what comes in our life and what we have to endure, we must always trust in God. And just because, note this, just because life doesn't always go our way doesn't mean that God is not actively accomplishing his will. You see, only one was delivered from death in that situation. Those parents might have said, why my son? Why not Peter? Both of them were in the inner circle with Christ. They were at some pivotal, very important events in Christ's life. The inner circle that some of the other apostles did not get to see and be a part of. Do we ask those questions sometimes? Why? Why? God's people are not exempt from suffering. Trust God. Secondly, God is at war with Satan. Herod and the Jews at this time, just as some of our leaders today in our country, they were workers of Satan. And today, some of the leaders we have to deal with are workers of Satan. James and Peter were workers of God. And all of these people were engaged in a spiritual warfare. And we need to note this morning and understand that this whole chapter in Acts chapter 12, all this action is in, is in the name of spiritual warfare. You and I this morning are involved in a spiritual warfare. We're involved in, in, a, in a war. And, and, you know, I've done a sermon years ago. Don't you know there's a war going on? It's all in the name of spiritual warfare. In the book of Ephesians in chapter 6. In, cha in chapter 6 in verses 10 through 13. Notice what the scripture says to us. Paul writes here and he says, Finally, brethren, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against uh, powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual uh, wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day in having done all to stand. 14 goes on and says, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, take the shield of faith, wherewith you stand able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one or the evil one, 
And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all power and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance. Don't give up and supplication for all saints. You see, we're involved in that. Paul wrote, he knew we would be. And he says, and when these days come, these evil days, and, and the evil one is all about us, he says, this is what you got to do. Six and 10 through 13 requires our, ourselves to equip ourselves in God's full armor. You see, God and the devil, God and Satan at this very moment, this very day, are involved in a war. And you know what the reality of this is? The reality of life, it says, if we believe there is a war, we will arm ourselves. That's the reality. If we truly believe this morning that there's a war going on, a spiritual warfare, that I must equip myself with the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, if we truly believe that, you and I will equip ourselves. If we knew this very moment that, uh, let's say, the Russians, back in my day in the 80s, they had Red Dawn, and they had us convinced the Russians were coming to kill us. We did drills in school. Red Dawn came out and they had parachutes dropping by school. And, and I remember that scared everybody to death. But let's say this morning that we know for sure that there's an enemy, the Russians or whoever has dropped in, North Korea, whoever, just choose one, has dropped in in Salina. And they're going to make their way southward and they're coming through here. What would we do? Just think about that for a second. What would you do? Number one, you probably would gather all your family. And you would put them in a position of safety. Whether it be in, a, in an underground uh, whatever, in your basement. You'd probably set up things around your home. You'd probably find a weapon. You'd probably find your ammunition. You'd probably get to the highest point and where you could see and prepare yourself and have what you needed to defend your family and your cause. But let me ask you this morning, what are you doing to prepare yourself for this spiritual warfare? There's a war going on. And, and, and Paul tells us here what we need to do. You and I need to anticipate persecution. And we need to rejoice. Now, I know this sounds crazy. Doesn't sound like what the world will teach us. But we need to rejoice if we are able to suffer for Christ. You say, well, you mean I'm supposed to be happy when, when I suffer in, in the cause of Christ? May I, I'm what I'm telling you. 
In the book of 1 Peter in chapter 4, in verse 12 through 16, the Bible speaks to us in verse 12. Beloved, I think not it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is uh, to try or prove you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with sitting in joy. It's saying in that there, he says, Rejoice in your suffering. Rejoice in all the things you're having to do because of the cries of Christ while you're here because you'll be glad when you get where? There. When you stand before God on that day of judgment, he says, if you will endure these things while you're here and rejoice in those things and stay faithful unto death, Revelation 2 and verse 10, if you'll persevere, Always abounding in the work of the Lord, 1 Corinthians 15 and 58. He says, you'll be glad when you get there that you chose to do those things. You see, Jesus said the same thing to Peter in John 15 and 18 through 20. Back in Acts 5 and 41 and 42. Don't be afraid. Don't be timid. You and I today, we should not live our lives in timidness or we should not live in fear. You see, that's what it boils down to. I've got God on my side. You know, it's kind of like when you're in school and you're in a classroom when you're as little and when you had the teacher on your side, you could say and do anything you wanted to. Now, I'm a teacher. I know how it works. If you had the teacher in a situation, whatever it was, if you had the teacher, if you was on the right side of the law in the school system, <laughs> at the classroom, you could say what you wanted to. You could say, yeah, you were wrong. But see, you had numbers. You had power. You're on the right side. This morning I asked you, are you on the right side? You see, we need to pray for one another. Acts 12 and verse 5 in our chapter we're looking at this morning says they prayed fervently, didn't they? We need to pray for the courage and strength to stand firm and endure. Oh, it will happen to us and we need to pray fervently. You and I need to stand firm together. Christians need to stand firm together. Firm together. Third thought this morning. We've got God's people are not exempt of suffering. God is at war with Satan. God's gospel will not be stopped. That's our last thought. By the end of the chapter, I want you to notice, Peter has been released from prison and Herod is dead. He's been released. And Herod is dead. Back in Acts chapter 12 and verses 24 and 25, Herod tried to stop the gospel's progress. But you know what we can say right there? God's will.
prevailed. Acts 12 and verse 24, notice what it says there. And immediately the people were there gathered. You know what happened? Why this Herod had left his home place and went down to these people? It was because he was so upset with his own people and his own guards that they had lost Peter and they weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing. He had them killed, if you'll pay the attention to the details. He says, I need to get away for a while. I need to go down here. And these people down here were part of his kingdom and they knew it and they were worshiping and they were calling him a God, the voice of a God, they said. And oh, can you imagine? Oh, stand up here gloating. Oh, yeah. They said, I'm a God. And notice what it says. Immediately, the angel of the Lord smote him because he gave not God the glory and he was eating of worms and gave up the ghost. But notice in 24, but the word of God grew and multiplied. You know what? I have a, I have a note in my Bible right there. It's three words. God has won. Regardless of how hostile and how bad our culture gets and how it's hostile to our faith, let me tell you this morning that God, God's cause will never be stopped. The gospel will always advance. It will never fail. It will never be silenced. I don't care how many laws they try to pass. I don't mean how many transgender bathrooms they put up. I don't care how many laws they pass that you can be whatever you want to be. God's and the gospel, God's call and the gospel call will never be silenced. And I can promise you this morning that God wins in the end. I can promise you that. We're going to win. That's what the whole, really, the book of Revelation is all about. Is that God's people win in the end. And we're going to win in the end. I don't care how difficult it may be. But now along the way, we may choose to put ourselves down at the level of the world and our culture. Of course, that's sin. We talked about in our Bible class this morning, in our adult class, we're talking about the standard that has been set. God has put together the standard in His Word, and He says, young people, children, parents, this is what you're supposed to do in your relationship in the family. This is how you're to live. This is how you're to talk. This is how you're to dress. This is how you're to live. This is how you're to, to speak to people. It gives you all these things. And he set that standard. And let me tell you, young people, the standard that God has set is way above what you see in schools and in your peers. It's way above what you normally see. It's way above it. So if you're just floating along with everybody and adults as well, if you're just floating along with everybody in the world and going along with them and you're not different and somebody can't see you and say, boy, they're different. I know a young lady that had a dress 
to be made more modest for a wedding. And the lady, whatever they call them, seamstresses or whatever they call them, she asked for the see-through part of the top to be covered with cloth underneath. And this was the statement from our culture right here in where we live. Oh, you're that modest? You see, young people, that's what you want to be said. Oh, you're that modest? You want me to, I can understand the, the low in the front and the low in the back and the shortness and the split, but I don't understand this. Oh, you're that modest? You see, the standard, the normal standard, is not God's standard. But I can promise you in the end, no matter what the media feeds us, God's going to win in the end. The gospel will prevail. God cannot fail or lose. I mean, have a lot of casualties because there's casualties in war. That's a price. That's why we stand, young people, when the Pledge of Allegiance is said. That's why we take our hats off, young men, when the Pledge of Allegiance is said. Because we have respect for those young men, God and country, those men and women who gave their lives, gave the ultimate sacrifice. You know, when you respect someone, you honor that one by the way you act and the way you dress. That's why we don't wear, that's why we don't wear, men don't wear hats in the church. It's disrespectful to God. That's why we dress and do our best. That's why we give our best to God in all that we do. This morning, which side of the spiritual battle are you on? Let's never be fooled into believing that the devil is winning the spiritual battle. The devil's not winning. It may look like it on our side and what the media feeds you and what it looks like and what we hear and all this. The devil's not winning. I can promise you God's winning. God's going to win. In the end... We stay faithful and we do what we need to do. We keep coming to services and, we, and we, we put God in our lives more and more rather than just one time a week. We keep putting our God in our lives more and more, multiple times. It's going to make us stronger and it's going to make us successful. So this morning, which side of the battle are you on? What standard have you been living by? You know, my goal as a minister is to help myself, my family, my church family, and anybody I can to get to go to heaven. That's my job, because I try to do that. But there are casualties. There are people who don't choose to do that. You see, that's the, that's the great thing about the gospel. It's the great thing about God. God's not going to force you to become a Christian. God's not going to force you to come to church. God's not going to force you to read your Bible. God's not going to force you to go to heaven. That's why we're free moral agents. He gives you a choice. That's what I have to teach my children. And I tell you this all the time. 
I work with our behavior children in our county, the ones who struggle with knowing how to act the right way. And it's all about choices. That's well, why am I in trouble? Because you made the choice. You made the wrong choice. You didn't make the right one. And that's the way life is all about, even when you get old. So this morning, maybe you need to get on the right side of the battle. Let me encourage you to do that. Maybe you need to be added to the body of Christ as we read about in Acts 2 and 47 on the day of Pentecost where they said back in 37 and 38 of that chapter, men and brethren, what shall we do to be saved? If you want to be saved, you have to contact the blood of Christ. You have to be baptized for the remission of your sins and added to the body of Christ. Ephesians 4, one Lord, one faith, one body, one spirit. The ones we talked about in Bible class this morning. You have to be added to that body. There's no other way. Is there one baptism, one Lord, one faith, one church? Yes, sir. Our Lord spoke of that church, Matthew 16 and 18. He said, upon Peter, upon this rock, I'll build my church. The Lord said that. I didn't. But maybe you've been a member of that church. And we, you need, you've fallen away. You're on the other side of the battle today with Satan. Maybe you need to confess sin, repent of those sins, and get yourself back in the fold, in the body of Christ, being faithful, working for the Lord. Because I can promise you, the Lord's going to come back one day. We're going to stand before the Lord. So every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. You can either bow and confess today or you will one day. That's the only time that you will be made to bow and confess. But then he'll look at you if you're not a member of the Lord's church and not live faithful. He'll say, depart from me, ye that worketh iniquity. Depart from me into the fiery, fiery uh, places of hell, the darkness. But then he'll look at you that you've been faithful. He says, enter in the joys of heaven. You say, that's the side I want to be on. I don't want to be on this other side over here. I want to be on this side. So this morning, wherever your need may be, please come. Together we stand and as we sing. <laughs>